very grateful to be here this morning in the house of God. Thankful for the for the privilege to introduce services this morning, and we are we're grateful all of our visitors that we have, and we have a uh, have a, a, a first time visitor here, um, Brother Vance Turner. Is that right? I believe his. Come to be with us. He is an old Baptist. He used to attend the Waverly Church in Waverly uh, years ago, and we're we're grateful that he's with us. He's from Cuba Landing, so you know we're all acquainted with the Cuba Landing area. Uh, probably somebody you know come from that area, uh, lived in that area, like my dad, uh, who hung out there, and 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 certainly a beautiful spot. We're glad to have him. Glad to have all the rest of the visitors, all the Coles family being here this morning is a, is a great blessing, and we pray that what is said would be to the honor and glory of Almighty God, and then certainly good for our souls. And and uh, and hopefully that uh, when we leave here, we can indeed say it was uh, better uh, when we left than it is when we came. And that is that is certainly a, a design and desire, I hope, of the gospel kingdom for all of us. Um, <clears throat> there's scripture in the book of Proverbs that says, Let another honor thee, and not thy own mouth, a stranger, and not thy own lips. Uh, and most of you probably do not know, but 29 years ago, on this day, I was joined to the love of my life. It's our anniversary. Uh, one of the greatest scriptures in the, in the Bible is, and God said that it is not good for man to dwell alone. Um, and he created from man a woman. And, and gave her unto him. And he said, now this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And God said that they no longer shall be two flesh, or two people, but one flesh. And <clears throat> that a man shall leave his father and his mother and join unto her. And let me go ahead and say it's been, uh, been the best 29 years of my life. Um, and I say that with the greatest sincerity. Uh, <clears throat> now... She'll get on to me for saying this. But listen, I'm, I'm talking scripture here, okay? Give me, give me the opportunity to talk about scripture because this is actually Bible stuff. Uh, the, the marriage between a man and a woman is in the Bible. And, and, uh, and a good marriage and the pattern of that marriage is in the Bible. Uh, we, we find that it's, it's uh, all over the place uh, throughout the, the whole scriptures. And, you know, there's, there's really not a completeness that a man feels in my case, and that doesn't mean all men have to be married. Paul, the Apostle Paul was not married, was he? Uh, and, and sometimes in religious senses and uh, religious sayings, it, Paul says it's better not to be because, listen, we spend a lot of time together. She could use that time to meditate upon God, but she yields it to me. And likewise, but I mean, that's, that, is the, that, is the, that is a part of our portion under the sun, though. That is not uh, unlawful to God. But as Paul felt, it was better for him to concentrate on preaching the gospel. Now, I'm thankful to be a minister of the gospel. I do my best to study and, and to meditate upon God's word. But I'm thankful for my other half. I'm grateful to what God has given me. Uh, and when you got a good marriage, you, you, and, and, and really there's, no other, there's not another union in the Bible that God uses to compare Christ and the church of our Lord Jesus Christ other than a marriage between a man and a woman. That is what he uses. Um, and my <clears throat> in the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and I'm just going to read a few things to you here. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the, uh, the writer Solomon says uh, concerning this portion on the sun, and, and this is something she and I share together. Uh, and it, it, is, it is right to share because God gives. But I want you to notice some of the language in here. And then I want to take you somewhere else and show you a different language concerning something else that we share together. In the ninth chapter, in the seventh verse, uh, Solomon says, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. And I have tried to do that. And when you got a good one, it's easy. And I'm thankful that it's been a, a joy to me to love my wife. It's, it, she's made it very easy. 
not difficult at all. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. All the days of the life of thy vanity. Because you know what? In a sense, my natural life is, is, is somewhat vain. And that's what, listen, that's what, Paul, uh, that's what Solomon calls it. And uh, there's scripture that says, man in his finest state is altogether vanity. And that just word, that word means without God, really, I'm, there's nothing, even though I have a portion under the sun, and she's a big part of it, and so are my children, my mama, my, my brother and sister, and, and all their families. And now, now we've got Kenley joined our family. And, and, uh, and Emily being affixed to Bryce in a very tight relationship, she's like a part of our family. So your family kind of grows. And, uh, but it is a life of our vanity. That is to say, if, if that was it, then why in the world? And what in the world do we have to look forward to when this is over? Because it's not going to stay around. Now, we're instructed to live joyfully as long as you have it. As long as you're alive on this earth and you have found that individual that you love, that you live joyfully with her and with him all the days of the life of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life. It's a this life portion. My relationship to my dear wife in that sense and in that relationship is for this life and this life only. Which uh, For this life in, in, uh, in all the labor which thou takest under the sun. Now let's go to 1 Peter. Let's go to the uh, New Testament to 1 Peter. And... Uh, and listen, when you marry somebody who is a spiritually minded person, and when I, we first got married, or we first started dating, there was a, uh, you know, there's a difference in, 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 in what she believed and what I believed concerning salvation. Not, not, not to say that it caused a real for conflict. It really didn't. We agreed to, uh, you know, I'd go with her, and she'd come with me. Uh, and then we, of course, she'd hear two different things. And, and, you know, you'll go to any place this morning and hear something different than what Brother Cole's going to preach to you, uh, other than an old Baptist. Uh, but she came with me, and I went with her. And, and there was a time when, when, when she, was, she understood that, listen, everybody, not every doctrine can be correct. And it can't be. It just can't. I mean, we, we'd like to think that God just will save however you want Him to save you. If I want him to do this, then he's going to save me this way. And when so-and-so over here had to prefer God to save him this way, that's not it. God saves one way and one way only, and that's by his grace and salvation that is given to Christ because you were given to Christ, and he bore your iniquities on the cross. And everybody Christ died for is going to go to heaven. That's, that is salvation, period. And that was something that began uh, with her to, she thought, and prayed to God, let you just show me the truth. I don't care where it's at. She would have, she would have rejected me, not as, a, as her husband, but what I believed, if God would have led her, if there had been a, a, the truth, and would have put her somewhere else. She would have rejected because that's what she prayed for. Wherever the truth is at, show me where it's at. And then by and by, it wasn't very long after that, and we would, we would be talking. We'd be sharing about another life. Because we also have another life in common, not just this life. And those tears would start running down her cheek. And, and uh, she understood the love of God and the depths that God will never cast her away. It's impossible. And His love has been fixed to her for all eternity and will never. In, in fact, Jesus says that He loved her as He loved Him. And there is no losing of that love. If Christ, if Christ can stop being loved by the Father, you can. If He can't, you can't. I'm thankful for that kind of love. Now that is that is something that we have been sharing now for for probably 20, uh, at least 28 of those years of our marriage, 27, 28 together in the house of God. Now, and in, in, in Peter says in the third chapter, ye wise. First, first Peter, third chapter. You wives, be being subject to your own husband. That doesn't sound. Listen, that sounds very barbaric, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, wives being subject to husband. That throws wives back hundreds of years. It's okay, y'all. Throw me back to the original way that God intended things. I'll take it. It doesn't mean that husbands are to be 
uh, uh, think themselves above their wives. Because listen, if you're two flat, if two becomes one, then I want her to be happy. I want I want to give her everything I have as Christ gives to the church. In fact, I ought to die for this woman if it was, if it came to it. And then she ought to love me. And be subject to everything that I desire and, and be willing to do that. Listen, do you think the system that's, that's changed, that we have changed this system, is it working in America? No, it's not. Go look at, go look at everybody's lives and, and uh, understand. It is a, listen, God's system is the only system that will work in, a, in, a, in it, whatever day and time. It never grows old. It is not outdated. It's not barbaric. It will lead to a happy life and a joyful one. Trust me, I, I, I speak by experience. <clears throat> now, and a part of this, and I hope she never has to do this, but I think she would if this was my case, that if the husband was not obedient to God's Word, if I just simply thought that I didn't have to serve God, though I'm a living child of God, and I thought... You know, I, I don't. I, I don't have to subject myself to Christ like she needs to subject herself to me. That's a bad way to think as husbands. <clears throat> but if I did, the Apostle Peter is saying there is something in a woman like my wife that would possibly change me back to where I should be. <clears throat> That the husband may without the word, that is not attending the gospel, not attending preaching, not listening to it, not meditating on it, not reading. That without the word, the husband be one. That's not eternal winning right there, folks. I told you that, that happened on Calvary. <clears throat> but to be one back to something that we share together. We still, there's something else we share together besides our portion of this life. And that's what I want to spend with her in this place called Buffalo Primitive Baptist Church until one of us leaves this world. That's what I want to be. It's where I want to be. And I want her to be with me. <clears throat> now, while the husbands behold your chaste conversation coupled with the fear of God. That is, to be coupled means like a coupling. That is, when the woman has a fear of God and she has a love for her husband, she has a fear of her husband not obeying the Word of God. And she should. Most folks don't understand what happens when we disobey God purposely and willfully. Nobody tells you things like that unless you're a Bible reader. If you're not a Bible reader, then you don't know. Nobody's going to tell you. But your wife, she knows. And I think she would do everything she could for me, for my soul. Who's adorning, that is, though she's beautiful, but, that, but she's not all about her hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of a pearl, but it is the hidden man in her heart. Let it be the hidden man in the heart. But there's a man in her. There's a husband in her other than me. I am her outward husband. I'm the one of this life. But she's subject to another husband mightier than I. And you know what? I am too. And that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women of God, who, the holy women also who trusted in God, they adorned themselves this way. Uh, being subject in subjection to their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and not afraid with any amazement. Likewise... And this is what I want to get to. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife. Because I want to. That hand is not forced upon me. When you have a wife who loves you as she is instructed, it's a privilege to honor her and give her everything I can possibly give her in this life. <clears throat> But I'm also her pastor. And I'm also her brother in Christ Jesus. I'm not just her husband. I'm a brother to this woman. She is my sister in Christ. <clears throat> Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And that's, that's merely in strength, a physical strength. It's not in spiritual things. <laughs> no, don't ever think that. A lot of times the woman's a whole lot more spiritual than the man. Shouldn't be that way, but they are. 
as being heirs together. Notice that word, heirs. He doesn't call that a vain life or the life of this vanity. As being heirs together of the grace of life, an eternal one. So I get to spend not only my portion under the sun with somebody I love and enjoy those things, but I also get to spend my time in the service of God with the same woman as being an heir, as being an heir, a, 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 and an heir is somebody who simply receives from a heavenly parent what is rightfully theirs. And one of these days, when we're not in this life, and the life of our vanity is over here, our time together is not going to go away. Now, she and I will not be husband and wife in heaven. Jesus Christ says that. Don't worry. Uh, if you ever want to know the answer to that, just go read in the book of Matthew and Luke and Mark. He, he, he describes this. She will not be my wife in heaven. I will not know her after that way, but I'm going to know her better. <laughs> and she's going to know me better. And so, listen, that... You're talking, about a, you're talking about a win-win. I don't. I will never leave this woman. That's going to make me happy. I thank God for 29 years. And I look forward to eternity when we're not bound by time. Uh, and also to spend it with you. Because I'm going to have the same relationship with all of you there too, by the way, as I do with her. Come on, Brother Cole. I appreciate what Brother Kevin has brought before us this morning. And I'm thankful for my wife as well. And hopefully that, uh, that, we, can, that we can see just as many days together. Yes. Um, like I said, I, the thoughts that I have on my, on my mind this morning, um, in the 14th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, now Ezekiel is a was a a prophet who prophesied during the times of the children of Israel while they were in captivity. <clears throat> they were uh, there were several that were taken to Babylon and to different cities throughout Babylon. Um, some who were left in Jerusalem who were taken um, in different groups over time. And Ezekiel was called to prophesy to these people, for they had greatly, in captivity, had further gone astray from the Lord. It, it talked even about they went as far as uh, doing sacri- uh, human sacrifices. Mm-hmm. That there was uh, they had gotten completely far and had been uh, and uh, you'll read of them uh, worshiping other idols. Even speaks of women with their back towards the temple. Uh, Praying and weeping uh, to this idol that they had set up. There was a lot of wickedness going on. And uh, I, I've heard it said uh, many times, and I agree, that we greatly in our day and age are, are living in Babylon. Amen. That, uh, we are, that uh, <laughs> there are so many idols and wickedness uh, among us and about us that it greatly feels as though. Uh, we too are living in Babylon. And in the 14th verse of the 14th chapter, <clears throat> God, this is, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. And uh, I just, uh, I find it very interesting. My, my main point this morning will be in this verse. Is that those, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Now, I think greatly that the, the main purpose the Lord has in saying that is that even if these three men, you know, the, they're oftentimes thought of the best of the best, who prayed, uh, who prayed for deliverance in their own times uh, for other people and, and found deliverance, that even if these three men were to pray to God to deliver these wicked people that had done so wickedly, the Lord's people, that God would not stop His judgment upon them. But He would spare... Those three men, Amen. and uh, that's is uh, that's what I have on my mind this morning is that you know there, I think there is something about these three men that uh, that we can learn from that uh, that we can 
that we can learn to, to, as they did, how to survive in Babylon. That what can we take from these three individuals and, and their righteousness? Now, now, let's be clear that um, the, he's not saying here that these three men would be uh, you know, saved eternally by their works of righteousness. As uh, Titus 3.5 tells us that uh, we are saved not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by uh, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I think it's very easy that when we look at Noah, Daniel, and Job, or any other people in the Bible, that we like to think of them as, uh, as superheroes. I, and I mean in the sense of that they've got this, these abilities that, uh, that we no longer have. That they've got, um, you know, that, that, they're like, you know, that they're like Superman, that, they're, they're, uh, <laughs> that they can fly, you know, that they're bulletproof, and that there's nobody else like that. <clears throat> but when, but uh, it tells us in Romans that God has measured to every man the measure of faith. That every child of God has the same measure of faith as Noah, Daniel, and Job had. <clears throat> that there is, there, is nothing, uh, there is nothing different in them that is not within you. <clears throat> that the, only, the only thing that is different is whether or not we will do as these men did. Amen. That we all have the ability in the in the first chapter of Colossians, <clears throat> in the twenty sixth verse says, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. <clears throat> that same Christ that was in Noah, Daniel, and Job, is within us all today. Yes. <clears throat> But there is plenty of times where I feel that I need to be, you know, kind of, kind of strengthened. <clears throat> you know, throughout the, the Gospels, when Christ spoke a lot to his disciples, you know, he often used the term, you know, why do you have such little faith? You know, you have, <clears throat> and then he'd encounter these other people who he referred to as having great faith. And what separated them was that um, <clears throat> whenever uh, we have just a, a, any unbelief in our hearts towards Christ, we are showing little faith. We're showing little faith in Christ and what He can do and what He can do through us. But when we trust in Him, that's when we have great faith. That's when we're showing a great faith and great and great belief in Him. In the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it tells us even that Christ is the He's the author and the finisher of our faith. <coughs> and that these men... You know, if you read the eleventh chapter of Hebrews, that's often called, you know, the great the Hall of Faith. You know, these are these are it's uh, Paul, uh, I believe, the author of Hebrews goes through several saints in the Old Testament, telling of all the things they were able to do, and he simply gives the reason they were able to do those things was through faith, through Christ in them, <laughs> through trusting and believing in Christ, they were able to do all these things. And in the first verse of the twelfth chapter, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We are compassed about with uh, so many witnesses that we can look to. <clears throat> and you know what a witness is? It's just someone who, is, <clears throat> someone who, has, a, who has seen, who has heard, or who has experienced something. And they're able to give, uh, and they're able to give evidence to that. They're able to uh, give a testimony to those things, and that is exactly uh, what this hall of faith does. You know, it's meant to be. You know, we can look at this testimony of these of these men and women, and uh, it can it strengthens us. And that still happens today. I, I love hearing uh, I love hearing stories of people today who have uh, <coughs> who have gone through tragedies. Not the story of tragedy, but those who are able to overcome that tragedy, uh, of hearing stories of people who are able to, to gain such peace and do such amazing things that is only through uh, them having faith in Christ. <clears throat> and that strengthens me. <clears throat> and, that is a, and that's what we can gain from these three, from these three men. So I said, these are not, these are not you know, superheroes. But I think that there's a lot of things that we can learn from them. And I said earlier, I think I, I may have bit off more than I can chew in that you could talk greatly about each of these three, each of these three men in, uh, 
a lot of depth, and I, I, I won't do that, but I do want to uh, you know, talk about each of them just a little bit um, to, see what we can, to see what we can learn about them. You know, the first one it talks about is Noah. And we're first introduced to Noah in the sixth chapter of Genesis. Now, Noah is a man who uh, he greatly, I think, would understand when we talk about living in Babylon. As he was a man who lived among a very wicked generation. A generation so wicked that the Lord uh, felt the need to bring a flood about to destroy that generation. It it tells us in the 8th verse... Well, I'll go to the seventh verse, <clears throat> or in the sixth verse. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. <clears throat> Noah was very, it seems very different from many others that were in his generation about him. <clears throat> and it says that what, what I find so interesting is that he walked with God. And I don't think that means that he physically walked with God. But that he, that, but that he was very daily in discipleship with God. That he was daily that he was daily uh, speaking to God. That he was daily communing with Him and worshiping Him and seeking to Him. And, he, and tells us in, uh, I believe it's First or Second Peter, that uh, it described Noah as a preacher of righteousness. As this was a man who greatly, he declared the things of God. And he greatly uh, showed them and how he acted and how he, and how he behaved. And it tells us, if you continue to read, I think we all here you know, know the story of you know, God commanded Noah to build an ark to the saving of his household. And it tells us in the 22nd verse of the 6th chapter, which I think is a great, uh, something great that we can learn from Noah, it says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. I think it's important to remember that not only did Noah, that not only did Noah listen to God and, and trust what he said, but he immediately got to work doing Exactly what he told him to do. That he uh, that that not only did he believe his word, but he got to work doing it. Uh, And that's something that we greatly uh, greatly need while we're living in Babylon. It's not only listen to the word of God and to study it, but that we put it into action. That we put it to work. And uh, just as it did for Noah, (laughs) and just as it did for Noah, there is a salvation in that. There is a there is saving in that that we that we can be spared from a lot of heartache, from a lot of troubles, from a lot of things from a lot of th- things in this world. Uh, if I can go back to the the book of Hebrews in the eleventh chapter, when describing Noah, <clears throat> it says in the seventh verse, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Notice that Noah did not only have himself in mind whenever he listened to, to God, whenever, he had, he, whenever God had told him what was going to happen. Notice it says that, that he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That he, uh, that Noah, you know, we forget Noah was also a was also a father. He was also a husband, mm-hmm. and that he greatly had a care for his family. Right. And that during times of wicked, you know, I, I would like to, I would, you know, I would care to say that Noah was probably uh, pretty lonely in his in his generation. There probably weren't that many people, uh, especially if they were living wickedly. And Noah is, uh, you know, preaching righteousness right. that probably really wanted to be friends with him and talk to him and be with him. <clears throat> and that when we encounter that in our own lives, that we need to keep our loved ones close to our hearts, mm-hmm. that we keep our families, that we keep our families close to us and in our, in our minds, because <clears throat> that and because uh, that's because that that is what Noah truly uh, not just loved, had love towards God, but he had love towards his family. He had love towards what the Lord had given him yes. <clears throat> to the saving of his house. So from Noah, we can learn, you know. 
many things when, when faced with a, with a world of wickedness. We could, I could continue to go on about Noah, but I, I want to keep going. But we can learn from Noah to, to trust in God, uh, to believe His Word, and to, <clears throat> to get to work uh, walking daily with Him in discipleship. And by that, we can not only save ourselves from this untoward generation, but we can save our families. You know, there is salvation brought to a house where Christ is placed at, as the head. Right. One of the things Christ told uh, Zacchaeus in the gospel was this day salvation has come to your house. Right. <laughs> that, that there is, you know, when it, there, is, uh, there is nothing more sad than, than uh, you know, when you see a lot of broken homes that don't have Christ as the center of it. Uh, I, and that uh, there is so much uh, uh, hope is brought to a home uh, where Christ is at. Uh, <clears throat> or, or Paul and Barnabas, whenever the, the jailer at Philippi, uh, one of the things that Paul told him was, uh, to, was to believe in Christ, <laughs> um, and it would also save his household. That, for him, that, uh, that by, by that jailer believing in Christ and uh, following him in discipleship, there would be a salvation to his household. And I think that is very important for us to to remember and to keep in mind as we ourselves are, you know, faced with all this wickedness about us. <laughs> as I said, I, I want to keep going. So I want to go now to uh, to Daniel. And there's even, uh, I feel like there's a, a whole lot we could talk about with Daniel. Uh, Daniel was, uh, was too, he was, a, he was a man who was taken uh, into captivity of Babylon. Uh, he was one of the, he was a uh, he was very young when he was taken to Babylon, and I think it's very. Uh, I, I like what it says in the eighth verse about Daniel. It immediately tells us, uh, it gives us a look into Daniel's character immediately uh, when describing him. It tells us in the eighth verse. Well, the, <clears throat> let me go back to the third verse. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So these are young boys. These are all young children who uh, the king is looking for uh, you know, men, children who are showing just you know, some intelligence about them, who are well-educated. And it says in the sixth verse, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And it tells in the 8th verse, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the princes of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Uh, there, were, there were certain things that the Jews were not allowed to do, that they were not allowed to eat and to drink. But Daniel had purposed in himself that he would not defile himself with what the king was offering him, and what Babylon, in Babylon, for what they had, uh, all these, you know, it'd be pretty hard to turn down a lot of meat and wine. That'd be pretty hard to turn down, especially when you read about what Daniel told him to give us instead. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think that speaks a lot to the, you know, because you have to remember, Daniel is a young boy at this point. He's a he's a teenager. And I think that speaks a lot, especially to the young people here, <laughs> that whenever, you know, we're, we're you know, there's there's a, plenty of things today that uh that, that we can still defile ourselves with. Right. There are there is there are plenty of things uh, not just of the of the king's meat and the wine that I think would have been presented to Daniel for him to defile himself. And I think it's important that we remember <laughs> that it, it starts within our hearts whenever we whenever we, before we're even presented with those things. That Daniel, just like Daniel, that we purpose within ourselves not to defile ourselves. It would be very. Uh, I think it's a. I think it's it's a. You know, I think we a lot of times get very you know prideful in ourselves and think you know well if 
you know, if it, if it comes upon me, you know, I, you know, I can handle it. You know, I can, I won't give in. You know, to any temptations that may come across me. <clears throat> but I think uh, if you've been like me throughout your life, you'll find that, that that is not always that is not the case. That is very, very hard when we rely on our own strength. Right. And that before we even <clears throat> have any temptations come upon us, that we, just as Daniel, purpose within our hearts not to defile ourselves. <clears throat> so that was that was Daniel. You know, he re, he very much you know he refused basically to conform to a to the lifestyle of Babylon. <laughs> that, that that is something greatly that we can learn from Daniel. Now I want to skip uh, I want to skip a little bit ahead. You know, to the six to the sixth chapter of Daniel, <clears throat> where it tells us a little bit more about Daniel and his character. And it says in the first verse, now this is uh, this is a uh, Daniel is uh, is much older in this chapter. He has grown up quite a bit. He's no longer a teenage boy. He's a he's a he's a man, and he has apparently become very well known uh, among the, among the kingdom among Babylon. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. <laughs> that tells me, you know, it tells us that uh, Daniel was of an excellent spirit. I think that, I, I think, uh, that it was, must have been very well known that people could see that uh, Daniel was a man of supreme integrity. That this was a man who was uh, that this was a man who was honest. This was a man who uh, who uh, was clearly a, a, a good worker. That this was a man who uh, who uh, kept his kept his spirits up. Who was in control? Who was able? Who was uh, had practiced control over his spirits? <clears throat> and I think that is a uh, very vital for us to to remember to keep our spirits up uh, when in the face of adversity, just as Daniel had been through throughout his life. <clears throat> Because notice in the next verse it tells us that you know just how much uh, Daniel was well known for his integrity. That in the fourth verse, these men couldn't even find any fault with him. That that uh, that hated him. You know there you know there were these were, there were men who were very jealous of Daniel for getting this recognition, and we're going to have to answer to him. It says then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now Daniel was a man, so I don't think Daniel was, you know, just 100% perfect. No. But in his, uh, but in his work, <coughs> it, it apparently was very, was very clear that uh, Daniel was, uh, as stated earlier, was of an excellent spirit, and so much so they couldn't even find any fault with him. Uh, I, I like to think that means that you know Daniel was probably very careful about how he acted, about things that he said. Uh, in the in the book of First Peter, <clears throat> in, in the second chapter, um, Peter, when talking about uh, when <laughs> when speaking, uh, says, "Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak e- against you as evildoers, they may they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation." We never know. We never know who the Lord may touch uh, that that we may encounter while walking in while walking in this life. Uh, we have no idea. You know, we, it's very easy to for us to get a, to get angry or frustrated. You know, with other people. But I think it's important, just as Daniel did, that we uh, that we remain in control of our spirits. That we are careful about how we act and how we speak around others. Because we have no idea what the Lord may be preparing somewhere down the line uh, for those individuals, that we have no idea who the Lord may touch, that we have that uh, that and that whenever you know, someone may uh, come to come to understand come to understand uh, the the graciousness of God, that just as Peter said, whenever uh, whenever that that happens, that you can be an example to them, that you may be somebody that they may you know seek out and ask questions about when it comes to when it comes to the Lord or to the Bible. You know that uh, they may know. Hey, you know, brother Kevin. I know that he uh, that he's a Bible reader. I know that he's a he's a preacher man. They they may they may uh, you know have in their minds. I need to go talk to him about some questions I may have. That we uh, that you know we never know um, 
who we may impact out into the out in the world in Babylon. We know we don't know uh, other people who may be struggling within themselves, right. and that when we uh, and that when we show Christ to those people, that uh, <laughs> that we can be a source of strength and comfort to them. Another witness, as in the twelfth chapter of Hebrews, for them to draw from. <clears throat> And even uh, and in the fifth verse, now this is where you know it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. Is there always when we have enemies, they will seek an occasion to uh, to afflict us and to persecute us. It says in the fifth verse, then these said then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They knew Daniel so well that they knew he would not go against God. In, in anything, and I think that is a, that is a noble thing. That's not a, that's not a bad thing at all. Amen. He said, "Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, and the princes, the counselors, and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king." He shall be cast into the den of lions. They greatly knew that Daniel was not going to stop uh, worshiping his God or going to seek petitions of his God. And so they picked at uh, King Darius uh, to his ego a little bit. You know, they say King Darius live forever. You know, they're they're greatly just just going at his ego. It says, now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. <clears throat> now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, this wasn't a secret to him. He knew that this was, that this was a law, that he was not for 30 days to uh, seek to any god or man other than the king for anything. That, it means that, he, that means that you were not allowed to pray, you weren't allowed to worship anything other than King Darius for 30 days. <clears throat> And when he, he went into his house, and his windows being open, he didn't try to hide this. He didn't, he didn't change anything. In his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He didn't change a single thing. He, he uh, you know, it might be, you know, we might think, well, maybe we'll just, you know, maybe I'll, I'll close the windows. Maybe I'll just, you know, put the shutters down. But Daniel, just as I think, just as at the very beginning of Daniel, when we see his character, he had purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself again, that he was not going to uh, that he was not going to uh, to follow the crowd, so to speak, that he was going to remain faithful to his God, that he wasn't going to change a thing. Amen. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know that's something that we greatly need. That, you know, it may, we have a lot of liberties right now in America. Now we are we are one of the we are uh, well, one of the few I think they're one of the few now one of the few who can still uh, freely worship who are freely able uh, to worship our God, but that may not always be the case. You know there are many there are many countries and nations where um, uh, you can get killed even for speaking of the uh, speaking the word of God. Uh, <laughs> I mean there's a and like I said that that may not always be the case here and uh, you know oftentimes we take that for granted. Uh, there are times where uh, <laughs> where um, we, we where we can speak for myself. It can be very easy for us to want to want to change, for us not to go to worship, for us not to not to pray to our God. <clears throat> it's important that just as Daniel did, that we purpose within our hearts Amen. to be faithful to our God. It says, and these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Not that funny. They were watching him that much. They knew exactly he was still praying three times a day. That's how much they were trying to get him. <clears throat> and the king, you know, it, it 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 tells the king had so much love. It seems like for Daniel when you read this, 
that uh, <laughs> it, that no no point after this do you see King Darius ever angry with Daniel or, or um, he's angry with himself. Uh, he he knew at this point that they had gotten me, that they had truly they had tricked me so that they could get Daniel. And they reminded him that this was unalterable what he had signed. Now, as the king, he he may have been able to change it. I'm not sure. <clears throat> but it but he uh, he knew that they had him. It says that when the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He was desperately wanting to deliver. I believe he thought of Daniel as his friend. That he did not want his friend this to happen to his friend. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He tried and tried to find a loophole in this thing that maybe he could get Daniel out of, but there was to no avail. Then these men assembled on the king and said, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. They reminded him, this can't be altered. And the king commanded they brought Daniel and cast him to the den of lions. But notice what the king said to Daniel. And this is an example of Daniel as a testimony to the king Darius. That, uh, that how he lived and what the Lord had brought Daniel through, that King Darius took notice of it. That, he, uh, that, he, that uh, he was not blind to see and to know um, why Daniel had prospered the way that he, that he had. And it said, Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. He knew, that, he knew that he couldn't deliver him, that no man could deliver Daniel from what was going to happen to him. But he knew that there was someone greater that could. <laughs> that he knew from witnessing and, see, and, and, and uh, seeing what Daniel had done and gone through, that, uh, that God would deliver him. It says, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. He could not sleep. He could not eat. He was so concerned about Daniel. Neither were, neither were instruments of music brought before him. Nothing could please him. Nothing could make him feel good about what, about what had happened. And his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. He went there as soon as it was daybreak. He had to know. He had to see. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Can you imagine it was a great relief whenever he heard Daniel respond? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad. He knew this was not this was not the king's fault. He he knew where the uh, where the fault was in, in all of this. He did not lay anything to the charge of this king. Then was the king exceedingly glad and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him. There was no scratches, there was no cuts, there was no bruises. There was absolutely nothing because he believed in his God. And the and the, if you read after that, you actually find where the king actually he had thrown in the ones who had who had tricked him, who had deceived him, and who had uh, and who were enemies of Daniel. But notice that uh, that. Uh, Daniel not only had an excellent spirit, and he continued uh, faithfully and dutifully in the worship of his God, but he trusted and believed in him. And for that, he had no hurt. He had no. He was at peace. He was perfectly. He was perfectly at peace with what had happened. And through that belief, he encourages the the faith of others. Just as in this, he encouraged Darius. <clears throat> that he encourages us, and that we can learn from Daniel when living uh, when living among the wicked. For one to to not forsake the worship of our God or conform to the ways of this world. And when we are tried to go to the Lord in prayer and worship for deliverance and for and peace, just as Daniel. And I'd like to go, uh, I'd like to lastly, uh, to the book of Job. <clears throat> and uh, I try to wrap this up as best as I can with, with Job. <clears throat> 
Now, now Job, uh, <laughs> Job went through a lot. Job was a man. Job was a man of, of supreme patience, and uh, <clears throat> in that he, uh, you know, a lot of times we go through, uh, you know, little bitty things in our day to day life yeah. that we just think, "Woe is me." Um, you know, there, are, you know, or you know, we may even, we may even, as Job was, as Satan was trying to do to Job, curse at God uh, for just for just uh, little things in our lives. Yeah, you know, we may get angry about a about a flat tire, and you know, and think, "Woe is me! Everything always happens to me. It's always me." <laughs> Job, in one single day, lost his house, all of his money, and all of his children. In one single day, with and uh, <laughs> no, in our Bible study, at one point we went through the book of Job, and I remember we discussed about how. Can you just imagine? You know, because each he was told by these servants who were coming to him, and it's almost described like it was just back to back to back, like one servant just after another was letting him know of all these things that had happened. That had happened, and it tells us in the first verse when describing Job that the, that uh, <clears throat> says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Again, this is a man who, when we're given a description of his character, that is a really good character to have and to be described as. As not only a man who, when he feared God, that he had a reverence towards God. That uh, he, as, as you read this, you'll see that he sought to please God and to honor Him, uh, to worship Him and obey Him. Amen. And that he eschewed evil. And I, that word eschew means to depart from. He, he sought to, uh, to depart from evil that was, uh, that was brought about him. And there's always been evil and wickedness uh, since the beginning of the, since the beginning of history, and uh, Job was a man who uh, had attempted to depart from that. He wanted to be separate from that. Uh, if you read, you also see where he was a where he was a loving father that he uh, he prayed for his children. Uh, whenever uh, whenever uh, you know they went out, it says that Job offered sacrifices and prayers on their behalf. He was concerned for his children. Uh, this was a this is a very a very godly man a man of a, of, of a good character, <clears throat> but in this when we but in this we read of uh, we're led into a some insight into a spiritual war that is continually happening that is still happening to this day where you where uh, <laughs> I don't want to read I don't want to read it all but where Satan uh, comes to the Lord in order to uh, to tempt Job. In order to attack Job, and I believe you know Satan is still doing that to this day. He is still attacking uh, God's people, and it brings him pleasure when he can get when he can get a child of God, just as he tried to do with Job, to curse at him. When he can get a child of God to uh, to fall, to uh, <laughs> to cease from worship, to cease from uh, from loving God, and to 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 curse at him. That is continually what Satan is trying to do, because misery loves company, and he seeks to make all and to make those miserable. <clears throat> so Job had, Job must have had an awful lot of patience. In, the, in that, whenever he is first told, whenever he is told this, it tells us at the end of the uh, <laughs> at the end of the first chapter, when Job is when Job is told of all these tragedies that has happened to him. It says in the 20th verse, even after all that had happened, can you imagine being told that you've lost your home, all of your money, if your bank account was just wiped out like that, there was no getting it back, that your home was destroyed with no, with no insurance, that you, you, know, you just didn't have a home, and that your children were all dead. Can you, imagine, can you imagine how that would feel? I don't want to even try to imagine how that would feel. But it says in the 20th verse that Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this joke, sin not, nor charge God foolishly. There is so much that, that we can learn from that. Yes. Now, because that verse, that, you know, that is not telling, you might read that and think, well, Job just didn't have any care for his children. He just must have not cared that much. Uh, that is not the case at all. In that, in that, from reading his character in that first chapter, we can see Job had a great love for his family, <laughs> and he had a greater love for his God. And that Job, 
did not believe uh, that this was from that this was uh, that <laughs> that uh, that God had just done this for no reason that that the Lord had done this. You know, it is very we have to be very careful. You know, we are very, you know it's very oftentimes when when tragedy happens, we're very quick to, to blame God. We're so quick to blame God that I think that is one of the easiest uh, temptations that you can fall into because you can just think about it. Uh, but it <laughs> but it's important. That whenever that happens, just as Job, that we uh, that we go to God, <laughs> that we uh, and that we do not charge Him foolishly, and have patience, you know, and and have uh, and have patience. In the fifth chapter of, of James, when describing Job, it says, "Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure." Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. <clears throat> Job, there's, there's too much to read in Job, so I'll try to summarize best I can. But Job is a great example <clears throat> of, of being attacked. Um, you know, Daniel is a good example of you know, living in a wicked city. Noah of living in a wicked generation. And Job is one that suffered a direct attack from that wicked one. He suffered greatly at the, at the hands of Satan and uh, gives us a, a, an inside look uh, to, to Satan and God you know, communicating and Satan uh, desperately trying to, uh, to attack his, his people. And uh, Job was able to endure that with patience. Uh, throughout, throughout the book of Job, you'll find where his friends, their so-called friends, tried desperately to find a fault in Job. Now that's not to say Job was perfectly faultless, <coughs> but that but that Job had not had not uh, had not done something to warrant this against God. Uh, he had not uh, he had not. Uh, they were desperately seeking for some secret sin, something that he was hiding within himself that uh, he must have been doing for this to happen, and uh, and and uh, they could not find one. And Job and Job tells us in the nineteenth chapter. I think part of what what gave him. Uh, a hope in this in enduring all of this affliction and having patience. In the 19th chapter it tells in the 25th verse, Job speaks, speaking says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though, my, and though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job had a hope within himself that he would one day, that, that his Redeemer liveth. That he knew that uh, that he knew <clears throat> that he uh, that he had a redeemer. That he knew that there was that he had a, a a mediator, a justifier, and we can and we have that same uh, hope today. That is a, that is supremely what our uh, our faith is built upon. Is a you know back in in Colossians where it tells us Christ in you the hope of glory. Our hope in us in enduring all of these afflictions. Is that uh, you know, despite having you know supremely horrible days, just as Job, that uh, we may see better days, if not in this world, in the world to come, Amen. and that we can have a and that we can have a supreme hope in that, and uh, and it's stories like Job that can give us a, a patience in that. You know, when you go to the very end of the book of Job in the forty-first in the forty-second chapter, <clears throat> you'll find where. <clears throat> where God was very much pleased in that in Job. Where God was pleased in that Job did not charge God foolishly. And that Job... Uh, <clears throat> and, that, and that because of uh, Job's... And that through that, Job was blessed uh, in, his old, in, his, uh, in his days as he got older. It's, it's, if you read after this, you'll read where um, his wealth returned to him. He built that back. He, uh, he had more children. And then it tells us in the, in the 16th verse, And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. He lived to see four generations of his children. And so Job died being old and full of days. As from Job, we can learn to have patience when suffering afflictions. And to remember, we have a hope that we will see better days. <clears throat> like I said, whether or not, it, 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 <clears throat> if not in this world, at least in the world to come. 
As I said, I think from these three individuals, we can learn a a whole lot about how we can uh, can live and endure uh, while in Babylon. And that whenever things seem seem dark and bleak, that we can have hope that we will see better days. I thank you.